Pastor Xavier Reese with a warning for Christians living in sin. It has been said, if we put off repentance another day, we have a day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. When's the best time to repent? Right away. Right away. First check. The second check might be too late. Confront your sin, confess it. Consider well the consequence that will come, not only to you, but to others, the longer you stay in it. Sin is a serious matter. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Christians are not perfect people. We do fail and commit sins. The question is, what will we do about it? Will we live in our sin or repent? Important lessons about dealing with sin can be found from studying David's reaction when Nathan confronted him about Bathsheba. Pastor Xavier continues a simple truth study of 2 Samuel chapter 12 about the importance of facing our sins and turning toward God. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14 and the message entitled, Nathan Confronts David's Sin. David has seemingly gotten away with his sin of adultery, for only he, Bathsheba, Joab, and a few others who were aware of the sending out for Bathsheba knew about it. David has passed himself off as presenting himself as very gracious, kind, and benevolent by having taken this pregnant woman, the wife of Uriah, a glorious, heroic warrior who has died for the nation, and he's going to take her as his wife and raise his child. While in reality, he has conducted himself treacherously and ruthlessly in the entire matter. Self-deception is the worst form of deception, and God was going to send here the prophet Nathan to confront David regarding the sin of adultery as well as the sins that followed to cover up that very act. This was not an easy task for uh, Nathan here. If you've ever had to confront a friend who's in sin, it's difficult, especially when if they refuse to acknowledge it. But you must confront. You cannot turn a deaf ear. You cannot turn your back if you love them. You will confront them. Notice at the end of verse 1 on down, the confrontation was delivered in a parabolic form with all the accurate facts and information revealed by God. The story is an accurate picture of David's sin. Notice in verse 1 at the end there, the two men, rich and the other poor, represent David and Uriah. The rich man, David, had many flocks, herds, meaning wise, while the poor man, Uriah, had nothing but one little lamb that he loved with great affection. Bathsheba. The rich man in verse 4, having visiting travelers, refused to take one of his own flock, but he took the little lamb of the poor man. But as you're going to notice, as, as Nathan here is declaring this, David is totally oblivious. He has deceived himself thinking that he's gotten away with it. He's callous his mind and conscience to God. The rich man, David, took authority over the wife of another, you see. Look at 5 and 6. The response of David is, was instant. He said, this is selfish. But he didn't see himself in this. You see what I mean? Sin deceives us, and we deceive ourselves. Notice the oath of David was, as the Lord Yahweh lives, the Lord, the man who has done this shall surely die. Literally, is a son of death. Wow. 
My sin always looks uglier on someone else. Secondly, seven through nine, the accusation of the various sins. Nathan said to David, you are the man. He nails him. You, David. David's totally oblivious. David's heart must have fell at this point for the sin that he had committed had found him out. He had been presented as less than the king he passed himself off to be or should have been. Now look at nine. The present sins of David against God and man were presented to David. First the past, blessings now, his failures. In verse 9, the sins of David were first against God. This is always a very clear understanding in Scripture, against God. The question is kind of rhetorical. Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord Yahweh? In other words, the obvious answer is implied. David had no reason to. In view of all God had given to him, it was senseless. The word despise means to hold in contempt, to disdain, literally to be despicable. This is God saying this, okay? Notice the sin of David was magnified by his intent. Underline it, to do evil in his sight. David knew God sees everything. You and I know that he sees everything. So the greater sin is that we do it knowing that he sees. You understand? David had ignored all the checks by God and individuals, as you know. David had done everything to cover his sin. And David had forgotten God always sees all that is open and all that's concealed. That's why it's called deception. And as I said, self-deception is the greatest deception. That you deceive me, that's possible. But that when I deceive myself, that's real dumb. Wow. Look at the end of nine. The sins of David were secondly against man. Always a vertical first. Remember we, talked, we looked at the Ten Commandments, right? God says, you have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. Uriah was killed by the archers in 1 Samuel eleven twenty four. Some say there's a contradiction. The source simply represents that David was responsible for the death of Uriah, not the specific vehicle of it, okay? That's all it is. Secondly, God said, you have taken his wife to be your wife. David defiled and humbled her, a heinous deed. Every time a man humbles a woman sexually in the Old Testament or has sex with her, it says he humbles her. He degrades her. David then passed himself off as a gracious, benevolent king, as we said, towards his loyal warrior by taking this pregnant wife. Everybody's, oh, David, he's such a great guy. I can't believe that. And God says, and have killed him, Uriah, with the sword of Ammon. David betrayed the loyalty of Uriah. Great warrior, faithful, loyal. David became treacherous, sending Uriah back to the battlefield with his own death orders in his hand. Hell and destruction are never full. Neither are the eyes of man ever satisfied, Proverbs 27, 20 says. I used to quote that to my wife and my daughter when they went shopping. <laughs> Especially for shoes and stuff. Notice the entire second table of the law was broken by David. David had dishonored his father and mother in Bathsheba's, the fifth commandment. The second table of the law, the first in that. David had killed the sixth commandment. David had committed adultery, the seventh commandment. David had stolen, the eighth commandment. David had bore false witness, the ninth commandment. David had covered his neighbor's wife, the tenth commandment. All these sins were against the knowledge and light 
he possessed. Now, when your one-year-old does something, you discipline him in a certain way. He's one-year-old. When your 15-year-old does something, you discipline him with a lot more severity because he's been around for 15 years. Joshua said to Achan, you know, Achan took of the accursed thing. Joshua 7, 19, after the lot fell upon him, says, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord Yahweh, God Elohim of Israel, and make confession to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Confession gives glory to God. You agree that he's holy, and you agree that you're a sinner. And you're to do it, and I'm to do it as soon as possible. God will give each of us ample time to repent, be it directly by the conviction of his word and his Holy Spirit, be it directly by others who confront us, be it by excommunication until we confess and repent that we may be reconciled again. Hebrews 3, 12 through 15 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Now, he says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any one of you harden, uh, be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, Today, if you will hear my, his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He takes the real story of the Old Testament, a tragic story of 38 years of one in the wilderness that never entered the promised land, and he applies it to the Christians who had come to Christ and now gone back to the animal sacrifice, the Jewish ones. Okay? And he makes the parallel. It's for today. You come out of Catholicism, you come out of paganism, you come out of whatever it is, you go back to that, there's no remission of sins either. You understand? How many come back? I think there are a few. Not many. Because sin deceives us. Our heart gets hard, right? We think we're smart. Hey, hell's full of smart people. They all believe now, but it doesn't help them. Notice thirdly, verse 10 through 14. The adjudication for sins. Don't ever be deceived thinking that grace and forgiveness means that there will be no lasting consequences. Some people want to just, they think grace is a license to sin. Well, if I'm forgiven, then you should. No, there's consequences. Listen, you're a young lady. You get pregnant. You repent from your sin. God forgives you. But the child does not disappear. You understand? Notice verse 10 through 12. The long and short-term consequences are given to us. First, the long-term consequences in verse 10 involve the sword that would never depart from his house. As you know, Absalom would try to overthrow David later on in chapter 15. Absalom would be killed by Joab in chapter 18. Adonijah would ask Bathsheba to speak to Solomon that he might give her Abishag, the young virgin that they found for David because he's too old. He didn't have any body heat, so she laid with him. He didn't know her sexually just to give him some body warmth, and she cared for him. And when Adonijah made that request, Solomon says, what else does he want, the kingdom? Because to take his, the woman, even though he never had sex with her, she was legitimately part of his harem, and that would be to usurp the kingdom. So Solomon took care of him, and he gave him the axe. The violence would just go on in David. David goes downhill after chapter 10. Never to be the same. Next comes the short term, verse 11. Short term consequences involve his children. 
The prophetic formula again precedes the proclamations, which is very important. This was God in the first person speaking directly to David through Nathan the prophet, as in verse 7. They're parallel. First God said, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. Solomon, his son, would defile David's concubines, those that he left behind in Jerusalem when he chased them out. Absalom had a tent set up on the rooftop, and there he exhibited his story over his father by going in sexually unto them. David's lust began on the rooftop, so his wives would be defiled on the rooftop. Not to mention Amnon, who would rape his half-sister Tamar in the next chapter, and Absalom would kill him also. Man, how in the world did it get this bad? Just by a look. That was the first step. Man. Look at 12. The reason was that David had done it secretly, but God would do it publicly. Before Israel, before the sun. Absalom would drive David out, as we said in chapter 15. Ahithophel, the counselor and friend of David, would counsel Absalom to show up horns to his father and to set up that tent in 2 Samuel 16, 21. Ahithophel betrayed him when David heard his, if it was my, If it was anyone, I could stand it, but my equal, my friend, we took sweet counsel together. We went to the house of the Lord, but David was responsible. David turn Joab against him because he was a hypocrite. And Joab had power over David. He held his little dirty secret. Now Joab has no power over him. It's out in the open. Ahithophel took sides with Absalom. David had his part in turning Joab and Ahithophel over to Absalom. Each one has a responsibility for their decision, but David had his part for leaning that way. He says, before all Israel, all knew that Absalom was claiming conquest over the king by humbling his wives. Before the sun, prophetically of the tent, pitched on the rooftop. Wow. Now look at 13. The sincere confession of David's sin was declared. I mean, he's sitting there. He's hearing all this. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned. David understood his sin was against the Lord Yahweh. Mark it well. The covenant God of Israel that made him king. This is the proper perspective, seeing sin primarily against God. Secondly, against or with man or a woman. David expresses his confession and repentance of this sin in the Psalms, if you've ever read Psalm 51, 1 through 4, specifically for this event, listen to it. Have mercy on me, upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. This is why Nathan's confronting David, to bring him to this point, to bring him back in the fellowship with God, 
but it didn't remove the consequences. You understand? Psalm 32, 1 and 2 accompanies that psalm. He says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord Yahweh does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to me. Absolutely, forgiveness is not the problem. The minute you truly, genuinely repent, you are forgiven, but you cannot escape the consequence. Are we straight on this? So don't turn the tables and blame other people or blame God. Consequences remain. Look at the end of 13. David heard the judgment of Nathan. Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. This is grace. Grace is something we do not deserve at all. Nathan said, You shall not die. This is mercy. Mercy less than we deserve. Don't confuse them. Now verse 14 gives us the immediate consequence. We see in the long term, short term, here's the immediate consequence. David had given great occasion for the enemy of the Lord Yahweh to blaspheme. Terrible. David was known by all as a man after God's own heart, a man of God, anointed by God to be king. David had displayed his love for God as he, uh, as he brought the ark back into Jerusalem, dancing and sacrificed to the Lord. David caused the enemies of God to blaspheme, to mock God. Saul had rejected the word of God. But David had despised the word of the Lord. David found himself in the company of the sons of Eli. Wow. How did he get there? One step at a time. But secondly, notice the child born of the adulterous relationship was certain to die. The child was ill for seven days. Verse 18 tells us the beginning. And then he died. David sought the Lord. God didn't permit him to live. And David accepted the consequence. His position of king of Israel, the servant of the Lord, gave him greater responsibility and accountability, therefore greater judgment. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you reap everlasting life. That is for everybody, Christian and non-believer. There's no exception. It has been said, if we put off repentance another day, we have a day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. When's the best time to repent? Right away. Right away. First check. The second check might be too late. Biblical repentance involves four things. Acknowledgement of your sin. We've seen it in Psalm 51, 1 through 4. Acknowledgement of your sin. Against you and only you have I sinned. Second, confession of your sin. A verbal expression. Not just saying, I'm sorry. What is your sorrow? I'm sorry I lied. I'm sorry I, I, I gossiped. About. I'm articulated. Very specific. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In 1 John 2, 1, it says, My little children, I write these things to you that you do not practice sin, but when you stumble and fall, you have Jesus Christ the righteous, an advocate for the defense, a lawyer for your intercession. But He only takes guilty pleas. No plea bargaining, no innocent cases. If you're guilty, he can get you off. But you got to plead it. You got to acknowledge it. You got to confess it. Third of all, abandonment of your sin. A change of mind with a change of heart means a change of life. You're not living it any longer. Simple. And fourthly, restitution, if possible. This one is not always possible. 
If you were living with a gentleman or a lady, and all of a sudden now they're married and you've been born again, you want to try to make it right, don't go there. You open a can of worms. So you have to use prudence on what to do, okay? You rip your friend off or all his video games, and then you become a Christian, give them back to him. That's the true evidence of repentance. All right? So when you can make a restitution, fine. When you can't, let it go. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10, this is called godly repentance. It's a repentance that has a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of life, and we don't regret that we repented. We're glad we repented. You understand? The remorse of the world brings forth death. You cry and you say, I'm sorry, but then you're out there again next week doing the same thing. They're not to merely say, I'm sorry, but express specifically. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God does not hear me. Psalm 66, 18. God's hands not short that he cannot save. His ears not heavy that he cannot hear, but your sins have separated you from God and he turns his back on us. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. It's like you getting your telephone out, take your battery out, and you think you're talking. Well, you're deceiving yourself. Okay? No one on the other end. It's simple. Sin is a serious matter, destroying lives and condemning people to hell, according to the words of Jesus. He says it would be better that you cut off your hand and enter into heaven maim than to go to hell with a complete body. Matthew 5.30. The implication being there will be some who will suffer great loss because of sin through this life, but they'll get to heaven. The implication also being the sin is so serious that it's better to enter into heaven without a hand, without an eye, whatever it may be, than to go to hell with the whole body. You understand? Sin is a serious matter. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.30 that God has struck some with sickness and others yet killed. Read it for yourself. God chastens his own. Hebrews 12.6. It is always to bring them back, but not everybody comes back. The consequences that are lasting in life can keep believers from serving in certain capacity in the church, elders, bishops, pastors, so on and so forth. First Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, as you know that. It's the only requirements we have for us. We can't ignore them. Today the church is very hard to distinguish from the world. Many in the church today marry and divorce like they're changing shirts or pants. And we're beating the world in divorce and remarriages as Christians. It should not be so. And it's because people are lukewarm. And they're not committed to the word of God, but they've shaped God in their own image, after their own likeness, and they've deceived themselves. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But I think the better question is, what about you? Are you in a sin like David, and here you sit, and you're going to walk out of here and continue in that sin? God help you, I hope not. Confront your sin, confess it. Consider well the consequences that will come, not only to you, but to others, the longer you stay in it. The pleasures will never be worth the pain and destruction. Never. David's sin, as well as his living in sin, is a warning to all of us. Listen to Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction in the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked, he looked to the reward. There's nothing worth heaven, ladies and gentlemen. We all know what sin does. Sin is like cotton candy. So big, looks so sweet, you put it in your mouth, it's gone. That's all? Gone. The adjudication for sins was to reveal the consequences of sin. What a passage. Nathan presented himself before David. 
to bring him face to face with the sin of adultery. Nathan's mission was for the confrontation of the sin. Nathan's accusation was for various sins. And Nathan's adjudication for sins was to reveal the consequences of sin. Don't waste this passage. It's for every generation. Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us of the simple truth of just how important it is to face our sins and not to deceive ourselves. Now, today's study is simply titled, Nathan Confronts David's Sin, and is available upon request for just $4. We can send you a copy on CD that will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is, Nathan Confronts David's Sin, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 